Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week, we are having conversations with guests on different themes, and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view, and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today, our special guest is Jo Love, who is a mental health advocate, psychotherapy student, and also a mother. She will tell us about her journey with postnatal depression, the pressure and the support she received, and she will also give us some precious advice. Jo is giving a lot of details about her experience, so here's a trigger warning for this episode as we're talking about deep depression. You can find various support links in the description box as well. The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure for daily positive education content. But without further ado, let's begin. Faisant cette chanson Maman, papa Maman, papa Hi Joe, how are you today? Oh, I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Good, I'm so happy to finally have you on the podcast. It's super exciting, so thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, and we've been trying to organize this for such a long time, so I'm, I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> thank you. So could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, sure. I'm Joe, Joe Love, and I always find this a really difficult question to answer because I do quite a lot of things um all with a mental health focus but i'm i suppose predominantly i'm a i'm a mum i've got a little girl who's five and i work in the mental health sphere i work for a perinatal so that means parents who are either pregnant or in the first year of a child's life a perinatal mental health charity so looking after mums and their mental health and i also write, speak, blog, Instagram, advocate, I think is sort of the catch-all phrase for about mental health, um, often with a maternal mental health focus, a lens, but really talk, write, speak about everything. My main goal, I've been around the mental health block a few times with various different illnesses mm -hmm. and I just want to try and normalize it with this the conversation has moved on so much since I started talking about it which is wonderful but there is still quite a long way to go so that's what I spend 
my days doing. Mm, very interesting. I've probably forgotten something. There's lots of other things. <laughs> oh, I'm training to be a psychotherapist as well. Yes. I forgot that. And I'm writing a book that I can't talk about too much the content of, but depending on when this comes out, I may have been able to announce it. So go and have a look on the social media channels. Yes, we will link everything in the description box. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to ask you, how long have you been doing all of that, like working in mm -hmm. the mental health area? That is such a good question because it's something that I, I think like a lot of people who end up in this world I completely stumbled into and it comes from a place of lived experience so I used to be I went to law school I trained as a lawyer law degree law school trained as a lawyer and then worked in a big American firm in the city of London for many years as a lawyer and that was my path that was what I set out to do that was scratching quite wonderfully my perfectionist itch which you have to be perfect <laughs> I think a lot of corporate life you, you know they, they it's not just law but demands perfection so a lot of perfectionists find themselves there mm -hmm. and all was kind of good in a it really wasn't but I was masking it really well I was particularly throughout my 20s um very much using distraction of every description to cope with my mental ill health that was rumbling under the surface mm. the entire time. I should say while I was at university, I did go through a period of very being very unwell and having support at that time and therapy and medication. And I didn't actually end up taking the medication because I was absolutely anti it. But but I was in the system, I suppose, at that point. And then when I came out in my 20s professional life, I just used everything as a distraction, whether I was going out too much, working too much, you know, all mm -hmm. of the dieting too much just spending too much just everything was too much it was like a big like I don't know carousel like yeah round and round everything I did was like extreme yeah pushing myself to my absolute limit but all in a distraction way mm -hmm. anyway then I fast forward a little bit I got pregnant which was a little bit of a surprise I have to admit even though I was happily married and, and everything was okay I wasn't quite expecting it mm -hmm. and I had quite a difficult pregnancy for a number of a number of reasons quite a traumatic birth as well and when my little person who I now absolutely adore and she's wonderful but when she arrived in the world it was all still quite a shock to me and I don't think I really mm -hmm. got over the shock of being pregnant of the birth of I had a con developed a condition in pregnancy that's quite rare as well and like, it was all a lot and motherhood just slapped me in the face like all of the distractions all of the things that I've been doing all of the plates that I'd been spinning all of this being perfect being being everything to everybody all came crashing down And you hear it said that there's there's no such thing as a perfect mum. And it is completely impossible to even try and mm -hmm. attempt to achieve it. And my mental health just absolutely spiraled downward. It wasn't helped by things like my baby wasn't a sleeper. Um, my baby was definitely a crier. And not to put the blame on her, but, you know, that that doesn't help when you're not sleeping. My mental health and my sleep are so intrinsically linked together. Mm -hmm. And I also just have a propensity to put everything and everybody else first. So I 
totally lost myself to motherhood. I tried, I, I just did everything to the nth degree, you know, every class, every, everything I went to, I did, I, yeah, I lost myself. And hmm. coupled with that was all the hormonal changes, all the situational changes, and my mood just got lower and lower and lower. And but I was in denial. I just thought it was me not being able to cope. I thought I didn't really think I just existed in this dark, dark fog, joyless fog at a time when everyone expects you to be having mm. literally the time of your life and the most joyful time. Yes. And I, I knew that I wasn't experiencing that, but I didn't. It's like my brain wasn't firing properly and it probably wasn't to be honest but I just couldn't quite I couldn't quite understand how poorly I was and it wasn't until I got to the point of crisis and I just want to put this out there that this is a little bit of a trigger warning that I'm going to talk about mm-hmm. suicide I won't go into too much detail but in case anybody listening doesn't want to hear about that please just fast forward 15 seconds a few times it got to the point where I I didn't want to exist anymore um, and that slowly slowly became not just wanting to run away not just wanting to get on a train and disappear mm. not just wanting to disappear or not or not exist it won it, it became more actively I think my husband would be better off if I wasn't around I think my baby would be better off it felt like a really selfless thing and I know suicide can sometimes be portrayed as very selfish mm. but it for me it was very much it felt and I know now with my rational brain I I almost can't compute again with that 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 feeling but I remember it so vividly that I felt so strongly that this was the right decision for 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 everybody I didn't end up being successful um obviously because I am here Mm -hmm. but I almost acted as a wake-up call I think it did on a subconscious level but I still I still was that poorly and still was in denial Mm. and it was it was after that it was a couple of weeks after that and I think something on a subconscious level had triggered me to think this isn't right and I know that I should have been it should have been on a conscious level screaming that this wasn't right Mm. but it still wasn't and I went into the doctor and I remember sitting in the doctor and my little girl was in her pram screaming and I said to her and she's a she's a mother and and luckily I'm really lucky I was in London but I would see the same GP all the time it was a small family practice which I know a lot of people don't have the luxury of you see someone different all the time but I know I had seen her throughout you know all my baby inoculations you know you you have to see the doctor quite often when you've got a small person so yeah I I went in and I said you know should motherhood feel this hard basically I get that motherhood's hard but should it be this hard and she did what I now know to be the Edinburgh scale test on me which is a series of questions and she got to the end and she said no no Mm. it shouldn't let's let's give you some support so I immediately went on to medication which at this point in my life I didn't resist having previously been very wanting to avoid medication I I I guess I knew that I needed I needed it and I have to say I'm not currently on medication but I have to say at that point in my life and I I, I remained on antidepressants for a good few years at least three I think Mm -hmm. and then very very slowly came off them but they saved my life they absolutely saved my life 
but they for me and everybody's journey will be different with this but for me they only served they served as a very important but only as a sticking plaster to my issues they helped enormously Mm. but what really helped was therapy and once that I had found because it didn't happen immediately I had a I've had a few very bad therapists in my past and also not been ready to receive good therapy from good therapists I hold my hands up there but even in that period I tried to do CBT which is what the NHS sends you straight on six weeks of CBT for mothers who have depression and I have to say as a mother who is Mm. struggling to sleep struggling to function full of depression you know really really like even just having a shower in a day cleaning my teeth just wouldn't happen to then try and be doing a very practical I know you know CBT well very practical very kind of Mm hands-on very yeah very I could can't think of the word but very interactive therapy was just too much I just couldn't do it whereas now I've done lots of I haven't done a course of CBT but CBT techniques and I love it and it's great but I almost think it well it just shows that it's not it it, not everything works at every point in your life for everybody Mm -hmm. anyway uh, when I did eventually find a really great therapist that's when the real real healing started and the real wellness journey started with my mental health so that was a very long rambly way of saying (laughs) um it was at that point that I I left law after trying to go back but it just didn't work you once you started to kind of shed the coat of perfectionism and started to try and work on yourself and also becoming a mum trying to then go back into the corporate life it's very very difficult the demands on your time mm-hmm. I had changed I'd hit rock bottom I was in the process of rebuilding like the whole thing it just didn't work so I left law and I started a business actually and I wanted to build maternal mental health into the it was just a retail business but I wanted to build maternal mental health into the very core of it so I donated money to maternal mental health charities with every sale that came through my website Mm. and I thought that that would kind of scratch that itch of yep that's me giving back that's me doing something but it just wasn't enough and I really started to embrace this mantra of if I help one if I just help one woman feel a little bit less alone And now it's stretched out to if I help one person. But at the time, I was very much thinking about mothers Mm -hmm. and a little bit less like a failure at this very vulnerable time of their lives. Then that's my job done. So I started talking on it was on Instagram primarily. And that tends to be where I live in the social media sphere. I can't manage too many platforms at once. It's just one at a time. (laughs) So on Instagram, talking about my story and why the business was doing this. And people really connected with us. This was probably about four years ago and people weren't talking about motherhood like they are now at all and yeah that side of things just grew and I realized I wasn't really in the retail game it wasn't really where my heart was at my heart was in this helping people feel that little bit 
less alone and less like they failed and and so I carried on doing that and it's just grown out from there and I've pivoted I now work for a maternal mental health charity like I said a perinatal mental health charity and do mm-hmm. I have my finger in sort of various mental health pies when pre-covid I was going into schools and talking to young people about their mental health and digital footprints and digital wellness I was talking to corporates about burnout and you know the whole gambit you know just really trying to spread the message that you haven't failed if you have a mental illness and just keep banging that drum and I know there's lots of people doing it but it really is mm-hmm. it really is my north star and that was imp- important to me actually not to just spend my whole life on social media doing that but actually not put my money where my mouth is but I suppose that's the only phrase that comes to mind but go and actually work on mm-hmm. the ground for a perinatal mental health charity who are you know, helping mums day in and parents, I should say, day in, day out with exactly the struggle that, that I found myself in. So, yeah, hmm. that's how I got in the game. Oh, that's very interesting. And it must be also very feeling like a full circle for you because now you, you get oh. to really help back. But I think although obviously every journey is different, everyone is different, it's not the same, but... I think it would be interesting to know for you because you mentioned it was quite gradual and that it took some time before it started to get better. Mm-hmm. So what was the time frame basically just yeah. so that we can understand? Yeah, well, I've had various bouts of different things in my life and I have, um, but when we're talking about the postnatal depression and I had intrusive thoughts as well at that time. And then I developed PTSD from my postnatal depression, which I didn't know that you could do Mm. in my head. Like my husband used to be in the army and PTSD. I had sort of framed it in my head as a, if you've been in a life threatening or very traumatic situation where you felt your life might be in danger or, you know, um, you um, sexual assault victim, or Mm. I had it, I had it ring fenced in my mind of that what it was and it was my therapist actually who told me that anything that is traumatic so for me there was trauma associated with my illness and some of the things that happened to me during that time you can have PTSD Mm -hmm. symptoms from and that was absolutely mind-blowing but I very much was being triggered by certain things so I I will get back to your question but um I've gone off on a little PTSD tangent it's very interesting for example a lot of my darkest and most traumatic to use that phrase but you know my worst moments were obviously when I was alone with my child because I had a year maternity leave and that was like the really 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 dark days and I got to the point where I couldn't be alone with her for any stretch of time and I was having extreme anxiety and panic attacks if I was left alone with her for any stretch of time and I hadn't really connected that that was what was happening it was my therapist who said it and you know I would do things like if my husband used to travel with business a bit and if he was away in the US or whatever I used to you know have my mum come up and she lived 100 miles away but you know I would always have my mum come up and I couldn't really have any time like even a night without somebody either my mum or my husband there so that sounds like okay that sounds normal ish maybe I don't know but it got to the point where if he went upstairs to go to the loo and sat on the loo playing his game on his phone for like any length of time that I deemed a little bit unacceptable so like 10 minutes I 
would not I wouldn't project it onto him in a mm. you know it, I would just be having an absolute panic attack and he would find me when he did appear in complete inconsolable bits and uh, not really know mm. neither of us <laughs> neither of us really knew what was going on anyway my therapist identified it and we ended up doing some EMDR which is a type of therapy which we can talk about in a bit but mm, in terms yes. of my journey of wellness and um, that's I just wanted to preface it because it's different stages and I suppose it took a long time and it's really hard to pinpoint how long I think it takes a much longer than people think particularly with postnatal depression and I think part of the trickiness of that is for a diagnosis so if you go to the doctor and you get diagnosed you it used to be and they've changed it now but it used to be that you couldn't have a diagnosis of postnatal depression because they had to draw the line somewhere if you were if you had a child over a year so if you get over a year then that's just normal depression and it's not postnatal depression they've changed that up to two or they are in the process of changing that up to the age of two but again it doesn't just disappear when your child gets to your second birthday and it doesn't just disappear when child gets to your first birthday and I think there's a lot of misconception about this Mm -hmm. you know where this rule is I, I get that the NHS have to have some bright line tests in there to for support and because of resources but I think it's really unhelpful in terms of general knowledge about this because people think well my baby's 18 months old I can't have postnatal depression absolutely yes you can or why am I not better yet I I should be better and then the guilt about that and the pressure about that so yeah um I just again I've gone down a little (laughs) got on my soapbox and got down a little tangent but it took me I would say it took me those first two years I was the first year was different to the next year but the first two years I was still very very much depressed the first year it was in a not really being able to function very well way that got better in my second year I could pull the wool over other people's eyes my own for a lot of the time but and then I always just liken becoming I think you always have to work on your mental wellness and I don't think you ever fully recover from things I well I think you can but I, I don't I don't think you're fixed I'll say it that way I don't think you ever I think you, it's always a continuing process and that's how it feels to me mm-hmm. but in terms of my actual illness I I always say it's a little bit like if you've ever watched a sunrise or watched the dawn break where there's no actual sun it's just a lightening of the sky you've gone maybe you're you've flown into somewhere and it's dark and you're on a taxi ride or a journey you know Mm -hmm. to wherever you're going to stay and very imperceptibly you you feel it getting lighter and brighter but you don't quite know when that moment when dawn happened and it's now daybreak it it just slowly 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 happened and that's how I would describe my recovery from postnatal depression very very tiny imperceptible increments of feeling just ever so slightly better sometimes although dawn doesn't work like this but sometimes you go back again and sometimes but just that you know an overall gradual arc if you were to plot it on a graph of feeling very very slowly and gently feeling better and I we moved from London when my little girl was three and a half and I don't know how long we'd been here but we'd been we, we now live in Bath and we'd been in Bath at least six months or so so maybe she was about four let's say 
And I turned to my husband, we were driving somewhere, it was a Saturday morning, and I just felt different. And I can't explain it, but in a deep bone level, physiologically, like I just felt different. And I said, I think my depression has gone. Hmm. And at this point, I wasn't on antidepressants, so I'd come, I'd come off. And so I had been feeling much better, but something had changed in that moment. So really long, wow. and but there is hope, and that's my journey. And other people, it will be a totally different timescale. But I think it is important for me to talk about this length of time because of what mm -hmm. I said up front of people. Often, I often hear from women saying, "I'm not better, and I don't know why." And I think, God, it took me years, and <laughs> and and we can't beat ourselves up for that. It, we're all different, and we're all trying, yes. and it just. It just is a slow process. Yes, I, I think it must have been a relief for the both of you really at that moment. And it's, uh, yeah. it's because you, so you spoke about the support you received from your doctor, your therapist, your husband, your mother. But mm -hmm. did you feel any also, for example, pressure from people or even, for example, your co-workers or things like that mm -hmm. at the time before you left low? How was, you know, the pressure from the outside world, oh, yeah. sort of? Oh, immense. And my internal world as well, because I, mm. and I think that was, that's been one of my biggest battles is my own belief system is, obviously that was set in childhood of having to be perfect and have to be the best, but that becomes the voice inside and that becomes internal. And that's been some of the biggest work and something that I am still working on in therapy. But no, to sort of answer more simply your question about external pressure. Yeah, not so much. Well, I was going to say not so much for my husband. He was a huge support, but still... I'm the doer in the relationship. I'm the one who organizes everything. And I think maybe mm -hmm. not to gender stereotype, but that, that can be where a lot of um, females find themselves with that role. Um, I certainly did. And I had this high pressure job. I was a lawyer, but I was spinning on these plates. I was doing it. I was organizing our social life. I would do the shop. I would do the, you know, the cleaning. I would do I did everything and you know all intents and purposes it had quite an easy life and then the baby came along and I couldn't do it but I was still trying to do it all and it almost didn't occur to me for quite a long time that actually this was a 50-50 endeavor this baby thing like come on <laughs> especially when I went back to work after yes. having the baby I went back to work I went back to a law firm I went back to like corporate environment and it suddenly twigged on me actually I don't think it twigged on me I think my therapist pointed it out of like hang on now you're both equal parts parent <laughs> you're both mm -hmm. equal parts like bringing in the cash this needs to be thought about a bit more but generally he was very supportive and actually I think he understood what was going on for me before I did and actually when I got the diagnosis from the doctor he was like yeah like of course um but he knows I'm not the kind of person that mm. can hear it from somebody else I had to I had to do that myself but he was really supportive but my my mum lived 100 miles away and she tried we have an okay relationship it's been better since having my little girl it's healed quite a lot actually but she was 100 miles away and she wouldn't want to intrude and I wouldn't want to ask for help and I didn't want you know part of my childhood role was to always be to always soften things for everybody else to be the kind of middleman to be the negotiator oh, I don't even know how to explain it but to be the cushion for everyone else's emotions and 
I really don't have it in my emotional vocabulary to ask for help and admit what I perceive to be weakness or admit I need help. So for me, those first, like that first year was very much like, I want to stand on my own two feet. I've got something to prove. I should be, I should be strong enough. I should be able to cope all the shoulds, you know, all the shitty shoulds. Sorry, can I swear? I just, um, all, all of the shoulds that are, (laughs) all the shoulds that we put on ourselves that come from external, but, you know, also live internally. So I think they're really, really, really mixed. And and then, yeah, in again, boiling it down, my friends, none of my friends had had a baby at this point. They could not, and that's no fault of their own, but they couldn't understand. They just couldn't. They couldn't relate. They couldn't resonate. Some of them really tried, but for a lot of them, I'd left their world of party and fun and then, you know, gone into this world of motherhood, which they assumed was going to fill me with joy. And like, you know, we were just living on different planets at that point in time. So there's no blame, but no real support. And I remember putting in, I'm sure everybody's got or had a few years ago, maybe they don't anymore, but like a girl WhatsApp group and my girlfriend WhatsApp group, none of them had babies at this point. None of them were pregnant. And I remember... Mm-hmm. putting in on a Sunday night they were all talking about like Sunday night blues and wanting to go back to work and I felt really vulnerable and I said actually do you know what I've had more Sunday night blues since having a baby than I ever had in corporate law because I dread Chris going back to work and I got completely shot down of you don't know how lucky you are what are you talking about you know very much like you're on a baby holiday it, and I I clammed up. I was like, okay. Hmm. I I had my postnatal depression diagnosis at this point, which they, they knew about. But I just thought, well, this, this is these and they're they're lovely people, but they are not in the same headspace as me. They're not a source of support mm-hmm. for me. And then, you know, wider family. Yeah, I think they expected me to be full of joy, and there was a lot of pressure mm-hmm. from. Yeah. I won't name anybody, but certain members of my wider extended family. I think there's a lot of expectation, especially from slightly older generations of, well, we did it this way, so you should be, or, you know, this is just what motherhood is. And so I very Mm -hmm. much had that of like, okay, well, I I just can't be enjoying this very much. Like I wouldn't be able to cope with it very much. And then work. Yeah. Land on work. I mean, I, yeah. (laughs) I don't even really know where to begin with that. I mean, maybe my reaction tells you everything you need to know. I had to hide it. It, Weakness, and I don't think mental illness is a weakness, but I think in corporate life it is, sadly, in some offices is still seen as that, especially by some of the old guard. It can't be shown. And I think particularly in law, and I don't want to just focus only on law because I'm very aware it happens in other professions as well, and especially in the city and the square mile, I think it's absolutely rife. But there's this misogyny and this like women can't hack it, they go and have babies and then they just like flunk out. And you have to have this sort of like steel armor that takes so much energy. And I didn't have that energy and I didn't want to play that game anymore and uh, yeah it was so hard to go and step back into law after having a baby anyway but then also having hit rock bottom and then trying to juggle every my home life work life my mental health I was still you know deep in recovery at that point in time and I think it was exacerbated as well by going back in and having to pretend I was something I'm not and yeah it was really really difficult and the expectation of like right you come back to work 
off you go. And then when the crack started to appear, okay, well, I don't want to put words mm-hmm. in people's mouths that may not have been there, but you know how I felt written off a bit. And there was only one path really for me, which was, which was leaving. Um, yeah. So yeah, a lot of external pressure, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. And I mean, especially for for women, you know, we're expected to really, yeah, it should be the best day of your life. And I think it's so (laughs) important to talk about it, because even for people like me who don't have a kid yet, it's not, you know, putting me off of having kids. But it's just I think it's so important to be aware of the possible side effects or you know like it's it's not just you're getting pregnant and then suddenly you find out about everything it's you know knowing what it takes beforehand so I think it's very important so thank you for for sharing that with us I wanted to ask you if you tried to talk about this with your daughter Ah, that's an interesting question. Not about me, not about that point in my life. She was there, obviously. (laughs) Um, And when, and she was, she had a lot of words quite early. So she was quite articulate. She must have been about three. And she was saying, pointing to my antidepressants at the time and saying, what are they? And I thought, oh, gosh, and I'm, I, I'm a big one of not lying to children, if you can help it. And so I thought, OK, here we go. So I said they 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 make mummy happy. They help mummy's head. And it felt like that was kind of enough for mm-hmm. the time. And now now she knows what I do. She knows that mummy helps other mummies who are finding being a mummy hard. She knows about mental health. Then she knows that I'm training to be a therapist to help people's mental health. She knows the difference between physical health and mental health. And we're very keen for her to express feelings and shouldn't be punished for any of that. And, you know, there's none of the don't cry. It's like, okay, have a cry. And do you feel better now? And okay, let's mm-hmm. is there's that sort of style of parenting. But in terms of sitting her down and telling her my journey, I haven't done that. I think she's not, it's not quite age appropriate yet, but I am very open with her about people who might be struggling or find it tough and about the differences between mental health and physical health yeah for sure hmm. yeah very interesting I guess yeah it depends on on the age and how you feel because I know that some people feel the need to do that so yeah it's interesting to yeah. to talk about yes. it and think about it you know just to see how you feel in that moment but yeah it sounds like it was a long journey and uh, also it required a lot of efforts yeah just time and commitment so is there any sort of last advice that you would like to share? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> there's so mm-hmm. much I want to share. But I think I heard something the other, well, I heard it earlier on this year and it's really helped with like parenting through a pandemic. But I think it applies to not just parenting, like everybody right now, because we all need to just take a big breath, don't we? And it is a little phrase that somebody said, and it's take it or leave it and they mean take it so take it so take any moment that you have whether that's just five minutes with a cup of tea five minutes staring at a wall or you know doing some deep breaths just take those moments wherever you can 
catch them because then they're gone and then we're stressed again and then the anxiety levels are up again so and then leave it is kind of leave all that guilt at the door about having to and I hope people have started to get that message about like having to bake in lockdown or having to I don't know learn a new language or having to be really productive but we're in survival mode so leave it like there's no award when we come out of this like we're not gonna be ranked on like how well we coped with this just leave it leave it all if you can leave it leave it just we're in survival mode so take it leave it I just it really resonated with me it really mm-hmm. helped me just really simple yeah. it's always like easier said than done all of this stuff <laughs> but it, it did help yeah, no, it, it does take time. It's not easy, but I think it's very important to write. And sometimes we feel bad or guilty because we took a break or we just watched a little bit too much Netflix or whatever it can be. But at the end of the day, you're right, especially during these times and even just on any given day. I think it, it's it's okay if mm. this is what you feel like you, you really needed to do then. Don't beat yourself about it. It's done. It's done. (laughs) So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for everything. Again, we will link all your social media accounts in the description box, as well as some support links for people who might be in this situation. And we send you a lot of love and support as well. But thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you so much for for this. It was very good to chat with you. No, thank you very much for having me. It was wonderful. Really nice way to spend some time. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.